I um, just wanted to share a quick thought with you. Whoever believes the preacher had a quick thought, but you know. Um, let me read to you out of Luke chapter 5. So it was as the multitude pressed against Jesus to hear the word of God that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. And then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. It was like for Jesus. He was, on, he was on the lakeside, you know, teaching like this. There would have been kids yelling, screaming, you know, jumping in the water, going along. So I figure if he can handle it, we can handle it, right? So when he stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out in the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we've toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I'll let down the net. And when they'd done this, they caught a great number of fish and the net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them and they came and filled both the boats, so they began to sink. I want to talk to you about, just briefly, a thought... No, I'm not going to sneeze. Just briefly, a thought about supply and and demand. The world will say to you, you know, the economy that's out there says it's demand and supply. Okay, if there has a demand, then you do the supply, right? You know, that's why you jump on the internet and you order something on there and they've got the demand and they will produce the product for the supply, right? And that's how economy works. But God's economy actually works the other way around. He works on supply and demand. In other words, everything you need to do what you need to do in life, to be in a position where you're walking in his blessing and his favour, where you're overcoming, has actually already been supplied. And way too often when we, we come into God and maybe you know, you're asking for, um, you know, maybe healing you're asking for or um, it's financial provision or you're looking for a job or, or whatever your situation is, we come with that, with that sort of demand and supply thinking. That God is up there and, and we have to put an ask and then he has to go, okay, now I've got to make this happen, okay. You know, um, yeah, say you were missing an arm. All right? Just take that and think. I mean, Jesus, when people came to him, you read it and, and it says that um, when the maimed came to him, that the maimed were made whole. Now, someone who's maimed is missing a body part. All right? So they'd rock up with an arm missing and they'd be get a new arm. Now, see, our thinking is, okay, I need a new arm, so if I ask God for a new arm, well, then God has to go away and he has to make the arm. See, we think in, in, in terms of demand and supply. That if you went to a hospital and they would make you an artificial arm, they wouldn't have one there waiting. You would go, they'd measure you up, and then they'd make it to, to suit you, and then you get your arm. That's not how God works. God works on supply and demand. He actually has all the parts you need, for what you need, all right? But the only people who get this, I think, are car manufacturers. <laughs> we were hearing of a preacher and uh, he got a tour of, um, I think it was a Chevrolet factory or something, and um, they're walking around and, and they took him to this room and this room was full of parts. And he says, what are these? And he says, these are the parts for the cars we're going to produce next year. So they're the spare parts to repair them. So they actually make the parts the replacement parts ahead of time before they make the car. And that's how it is with God. Because here you've got 
Simon. And he's been, he hasn't just been fishing all night, he's been toiling. And we know what Proverbs says, that the blessing of the Lord, 10.22, brings wealth and riches and he adds no toil to it. Toil is excessive work. See, work is not bad. Work is good. We were made to work. Yes? You know, Adam was given a job. Right? But the difference between working and toil is when you get out there and you work and you you do what you're made to do and you enjoy it. When you get into toil, it becomes excessively hard and difficult. And he says, they've been toiling all night. They've been out there throwing the nets out, pulling the nets in. These are professional fishermen. Toiling, pulling it in, pulling it in. And how it becomes exhausting, I'm sure, when you pull in. You know, if I've been fishing with a rod. Now, I'm no great fisherman. I grew up in the desert, all right? <laughs> Not a lot of fish there. But, you know, you throw, you throw your line in and you wind it in and there's no fish on the end. You don't go, oh, yay, my bait's gone. You go, oh, and then you stick your next bit of bait on and you throw it out again and you wind it in and the bait's gone again and there's no fish. And so you do it again. And I don't know about you, but for me, that became toil after about the second time. It's like, this is not fun, you know, especially when the person next to you is reeling them in. You think, what's the difference, all right? But there was a time when I went fishing and it wasn't toil. And this was with my grandfather in New Zealand. And um, we went down, my two brothers and my grandfather, and, and he lived in a place called Greymouth, which is like, a, and they had a fishing area there. And we were down there and they, the guys had come in who were fishing and they had their catches on the boat. And they were going through and they were scaling and they were cutting the heads off the fish and so on and just chucking them in the water. And so what happened is because they were throwing out this stuff in the water, a whole lot of fish came to feed on what was there. And so we had these lines with three hooks on, and we weren't even bothering baiting them. We were just chucking them in, and we are pulling in two or three fish at a time. I think we caught about 60 fish in an hour, 60 herring in an hour. That's good fishing. Yeah? There was no toil in that. That was easy. didn't have to bait the hook. You just threw it in and you pulled, because they were just biting everything because there was so much stuff in the water. And that's what it's like for these guys. They're out there, professional fishermen, but they've been toiling. They've been working and putting the nets in and pulling them in. And, and it becomes hard work and they've come in, they're tired, they're cleaning the nets. And then this preacher guy says, oh, can I borrow your boat? And Simon sort of goes, I, I really don't think it was like, a, yeah, sure, let's get out there. Oh, I'm full of energy. No, he's been toiling. He's been doing hard work. He's tired, but it's like, you know, there's enough of him in his, his religious upbringing to go, yeah, you've got to look after these, these preacher guys, you know, or, you know, you want things to go right for you, so I'll look after him. So he takes him out in the boat a little bit from the shore because water's a great sound reflector. Did you know if you knew that? So Jesus preaching from the water means that the sound would have actually amplified off the water and been easier for those on the hillside to hear him. Simple acoustics, all right? So he's preaching... He's going, yeah, okay, and you're probably sitting in the boat going, yeah, I need to go and finish cleaning the nets. I wish you'd hurry up and finish talking, you know. But as he listens to what Jesus said, faith rises up. And as Jesus finishes, he turns to Simon and he says, grab your nets, let's go out a little bit. He says, nets. Notice that Jesus said to him, grab your nets. Peter grabbed one net. 
He said, grab your nets and let them down for a catch. Now, this is the point where Peter looks at him and he says, we've toiled all night. In other words, I'm tired, I'm hungry, I just want to get home, have some breakfast, have a sleep, I've had enough. Because he knows if he puts his net in that water, he has to clean the net again. Because the net will grab, you know, bits of seaweed and junk that are in the water and he's going to have to pull it out. He's going to have to go through and clean it again, get all the bits out of it because that's how you take care of your net. You know, if it snags on something, he's got to repair it because otherwise when he comes back that night to do fishing at night again, he's got to do it before then and it's going to take up his fishing time. So he's sort of making this whole, there's not a whole, yeah, absolutely, there's this... (sighs) Look, we've been toiling all night. I'm tired. The net's done. But there's something in Jesus' preaching that has stirred up faith in him. But he says, at your word, I'll let down the net. And he did that, and what happened? Not demand and supply, supply and demand. The fish were already in the sea. The fish were already there to catch. The supply was already there before he made the demand. So that when he dropped down the net, even though Jesus said nets, he dropped down one net and what happened? He caught so many fish, he had to call his partner's other boat in and it says it filled up both boats so they started to sink. That's from one net. Imagine he put down two nets. We need to change our thinking. See, we're so often in the world system that says, you know what, I've got this request, I have this need in my life and... And, you know, I've got to go to God and I've got to ache and beg and, and plead and, and then God's got to find a way. He's got to go and find what I need and then bring it in and then maybe I'll have it. And that's not God's way. God's way is supply and demand. He actually already has everything that you need. And even says above that, he says he even has the desire of your heart. He's actually already supplied it whether it's financial, whether it's healing, whatever it is. Our problem is is we're still thinking the world system. How long did it take Jesus to get the fish in place? You know, if that was you and you're thinking, I need to go fishing, Lord. Okay, I'm going fishing in three days. You've got three days to gather those fish to that point. You know, the water angels are out there shepherding them in. You know, you've got a few dolphins who are pushing all the fish in one place, you know. I need to pray now and then maybe God will have it done in time. That's how we think. We don't have what the Bible calls in Hebrews 11.1, 1, now faith. That verse starts, now faith is the substance of things. That now is not just there as a start of the sentence. Because he could have just said faith is a substance of things hoped for. He said now faith. Is a substance. In other words, now faith means I believe it's actually already done. It's already in this place. But the problem is that we spend so much time listening to what the world has to say that our faith gets diminished. And we let Satan steal from us. And as I thought about this, you know, there's three areas that Satan steals from us. And I want to look at them very quickly so that we know that we can overcome them, all right? The first way that Satan steals with us is through temptation. He will tempt us into trying to do things our own way. That's what temptation is. Sin is essentially doing something without God. 
All right? Every part of your life should involve God. But we go, no, it's right. God fits in this box, not in that bit there. But we are supposed to walk by faith because when you walk by faith, faith is pleasing to God. And so everything you should do should involve faith. Does that make sense? That's a whole other sermon there. So one of the first, first ways Satan gets you out of faith is through temptation. He will tempt you to do what you know is wrong. Now the horrible thing about temptation is it's actually, it's actually attractive, isn't it? If temptation wasn't attractive, you wouldn't do it. If temptation involved, you know, rubbing your face in a cow pat, you wouldn't be tempted, would you? I mean, who's tempted to go and rub their face in a cow pat? Except maybe a one-year-old walking around going, ooh, what's that? But there's no temptation in rubbing your face in a cow pat. But the temptation that comes your way to do the wrong thing is attractive. He makes it look good. And when you step in temptation, then you feel like you're separated from God and you step out of faith. The second way that Satan gets you is through deception. He does this, he did this with Jesus, you know. He said, what if, how about, look, the Bible says this, so you can do this this way. And that's what he does with us. He makes it look like and feel like it's the right way to do things, even though you know it's contrary to God's will. Do you understand what I mean by that? A good way, of, actually a good way of illustrating it is like, say you're overweight and you want to lose weight. All right? So you think, you know what, that's it, I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to be healthy and strong, I'm going to do this. Temptation is the chocolate cake. That when you walk by, you go, oh, gee, I'd really like a piece of chocolate cake. Now, you have not eaten the chocolate cake at that point. And in our analogy, you have not sinned. When temptation comes, you have not sinned when you haven't given in to temptation. It's when you give in to temptation that you sin. Temptation is not sin in itself. It is the temptation to sin. So the sin would be taking the chocolate cake in terms of your diet. Does that make sense? But as long as you see the chocolate cake, oh, I'd like that. No, I'm not. I'm being self-controlled. You're resisting temptation. Temptation would be to give in. Deception is going on a diet. You know, one of those ones that says, if you take this pill... You will lose 20 kilos in 10 weeks. Because we tried this on 100 people and they all lost 20 kilos in 10 weeks. And in the small print it says, and they ran 70, you know, 20 Ks a day and we gave them a 1,000 calorie diet every day and now they're all in hospital suffering from malnutrition. And <laughs> so it had nothing to do with the pill that was all about the other stuff. That's deception. All right, most diets out there are deception. You know, if you take this product or you do this one, then this will happen to you. That's actually deception. Yeah? You get what I mean by that? So deception is where Satan dresses something up that it looks like it might be God's way of doing it. All right, anytime you use the word maybe, and this is where Abraham got stuck. Because, you know, he wanted a son really bad, and so his wife Sarah came to him and said, look, 
Where we come from, it's acceptable practice for, you know, I can't, obviously can't conceive, so it's acceptable practice for you to take my hand, Maven, and to have a child by her, and that becomes our child. And Abraham goes, ooh, maybe that's how God wants it to happen. You read the scriptures, what he said, maybe. And what do you have? He had Ishmael, and now we've got the Middle East conflicts. Because he said maybe. Maybe is the deception. Something, where anytime you're looking at you and going, Oh, maybe this is how God wants to do it. That's not faith. That's deception. When you're in faith, you know. The Word of God is very clear, and you know within you it is right. Maybe is you trying to work out God's side of the deal. Yeah? Does that make sense? That's deception. That's the other way the devil works. Maybe. End up with that, you end up with an Ishmael. This is where people go and they go, you know, I really like a, a house, I really like this, and, and they put themselves under extreme pressure going, God will sort that out. And they're under extreme financial pressure. You know, I want to go on a holiday, so I'll tell you what, I'll go and borrow $50,000 to take my holiday and God will pay for it. Yeah. That's deception. Yeah. <laughs> That's you trying to do God's job for him. That is not faith. Does that make sense? Yeah. All right. The third area that Satan works to try and steal faith from you, to steal away your supply that is yours, is condemnation. He tries to make you feel like you're not good enough. Right? And this is where you go that you know, Satan comes along and reminds you of everything you've ever done wrong. And if you just happen to forget, I'm sure he'll tell you. And he brings up this and he brings up that. And you know, when you were, when you were 12, you did this. And you sit there and, you, and what happens is you start to feel bad and you start to feel like you're not worthy, you're not good enough. I was talking to Dar before and I said, you know, there's times where you don't feel holy and righteous. Because in my mind, if I'm holy and righteous, and all that, then I should feel good and great and wonderful all the time. The reality is I don't feel good and great and wonderful all the time. There are times where I feel tired and you feel a bit grumpy and you, you feel a bit worn out. Am I any less right before God? No. I'm still righteous. I'm still holy. Because it's in Jesus. He, I am the righteousness of God. Through Jesus Christ. I'm righteous because of Jesus, not because of me. But Satan will come and condemn you and say, how can you be righteous? How can you be a Christian? And we get sucked into that. And so our thinking goes from faith to condemnation. Be aware of how Satan works. You know, condemnation is, oh gee, you know, about the weird diet thing, it's, oh gee, look, I am overweight. And you start to think in terms of, I am overweight. Oh, I am fat. And what happens when you start to think about condemnation? You start to get back into the pattern of condemnation. And you start to actually then do your old habits. If you're feeling condemned about a sin and you focus on that sin, you actually then start to act out the sin. Because what you focus on is what you become. And if you think of yourself as this is how I am, I'm lazy, I'm slothful, I'm whatever it is, you know, I'm lustful, I'm whatever your, your thing is, you know, I'm a liar, I'm a cheat, I'm a stealer. Because you did that once or it happened once in your life, 
that if you start to think in those terms, that's how you see yourself and that's what you become and that's what you do and that's the pattern of your life. You have to change from condemnation thinking to faith thinking that I am a child of God. I am the righteousness of God. That's how God made me. Yeah? That I throw off every sin and I run the race of faith, Hebrews says. Let me read to you from 1 John, 1 John chapter 3. One John three says, "He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning." Now, if you want to read, read that in the Amplified, is a good way to read that, because it doesn't mean if you've sinned, you did one thing wrong. You know, you woke up this morning and you sinned, that you're of the devil. That's condemnation. What this verse is actually saying is, a person who sins and habitually sins and lives their life of sin, as in they identify with the sin and that's their life is of the devil. So if you're a new creation in Christ, if you're saved, that is not you. That's what you're delivered from. Because the next bit says, for this purpose, because you were born into sin, for this purpose, the Son of God, Jesus, was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. So Jesus came to destroy everything the devil wanted to do in your life. He came to destroy the temptation the condemnation and the deception in your life. He came to destroy your old life and say, step into new life in me, step into my supply on your demand. That all you have to do is make a demand on the supply of God which is already given. And you are in that position. Because I find the one thing that stops most people is how they see themselves. I'm not good enough for God to do this. I'm not in that place. We'll step into that place. I mean, we're talking about Simon here. Simon, I put my foot in my mouth. Occasionally I take it out so I can put the other one in. I got to illustrate in Thailand, they looked at me like, what? (laughs) Cross-cultural ones are fun. But basically, he's the guy who kept messing up. He messed up before this point. He messed up after this point. But God supplied, like that, what he needed. And not just what he needed, he supplied it in abundance. So much so it was overflowing that his boat was sinking. That's how God wants you to be, but your thinking has to change. You know, the devil came to steal, to kill and destroy. In other words, he came to limit how you think and how you see yourself because that will limit what God can do through you. Jesus said, I came to give you, in that same verse, life, and life what? Abundantly. Now, do you think that's abundantly? A couple of boats sinking because there's so many fish in them. And these boats were made to carry fish. Oh, really? Turn the person next to you and say, God actually loves you. He does. He cares about you. You know, we're coming up to Christmas. I know it's October, but we're coming up to Christmas. 
It's like 11 or 10 weeks away or something like that. 10 weeks. Isn't that exciting? It's almost time to pull out the caramels and get the Christmas tree up. But you know what? I've already started buying presents for our kids. Yeah, I'm flicking through and stuff comes up on my net, internet feed or whatever it is and I go, wow, that would be a really good present. And so I buy it. And then I tell Dale. Because <laughs> if I tell her beforehand, you know, she might be wiser. <laughs> but it's because I like to spoil my kids. I like to give them good things. When they come to Christmas, I want to have an abundance of stuff for them to open. And people go, oh, you spoil your kid. No. You know what spoils my kids? The devil. And he's got no right to my kids. I can't spoil them. I can only bless them. And I want them to have abundant blessings. So when it comes Christmas, there's lots of things for them to open because it's exciting and it's fun. And you know what? God says in comparison to how much I want to bless my kids, it's like I'm a wicked father. He wants to bless you even more. That in comparison, it's like I'm stingy. I'm being a Scrooge. That's how God sees you. And he's already given you supply. What I want to say to you is change how you think from the world system to God's system and put a demand on God. That if you have a need, push into him and say, you know what, I'm putting a demand in this place. I will not walk in temptation. I will not walk in deception. I will not walk in condemnation. I will walk as a child of God. And I'm in his blessing and in his favour. And I put demand on the supply that is already given. And I receive now in the name of Jesus, hallelujah, it's mine. Now I know you're sitting there going, Either you're going, absolutely, yes, I want this, let's bring it on now, or you're going, oh, I'm not sure. That's condemnation. Get out of it. You know, the Bible says that Satan comes. When you hear the word, Satan comes immediately. And I sometimes wonder if it's sooner. <laughs> but Satan comes immediately to steal the word. And if he can't steal it, he'll try and choke it with life. And strangle it out of you. So you have a choice right now. You can either take the word of God and go, he has supply for my demand already and I receive it now and I'm holding on to this no matter what my circumstances say. Or you can lose the word and get it choked out through condemnation, through temptation and through deception. And you are that choice. It says your heart has to be good soil to receive. And the choice is yours as to whether you receive or not. So you've got a choice right now. You can either put a demand on God's supply or you can let it go and miss out on the blessing. Because, but if, but if, but if. You know, I hassle Ben out when we do footy tipping because I just beat him. At the end of our footy tipping, you see, uh, the loser has to buy the winner a drink. So I thought about going and get one of those $26 cup of coffees, you know. <laughs> no, I won't do that to him. He says, no, no, how about the $1 slushy at... Um, Hungry Jacks or something. No, I don't think so. But, you know, all the way through the competition, as I was moving further ahead and he was moving further ahead, he'd go, 
you know, I thought about tipping them, and if I only. And by the end of it, I said, Ben, we're going to call you if I only. You know, but if, but if, you know, if, but if they'd kicked that goal, but if they'd done that. And I said, you can but if all you like. The bottom line is it didn't happen. And that's how it is with, with Satan. He will come and but if, but if, but if, and he will bring the but if to your mind. And if you embrace the but if, you miss out on the blessing. But if you just step into what he has for you and go, you know what? I put demand on the supply that's already done, then you receive. And don't go by what you can see. That's not faith. Go by what he says. Don't go by your circumstances. Go by what he says. You know, I can remember when we were finished with this story, but I think I've told this before. You know, we were believing for a new car. Our car had broken down and, and you know, God said, what do you want? And so I went through, what, and I was a bit hesitant, but he said, what do you want? So I said, this is the sort of car I want. And I listed it off right down to all the extras and everything else on it. I said, this is what I want. And he went, okay, now give your car away a seat. So we did. We got it fixed up and he arranged that and helped us out with that and, and we gave that car away. Now the car that we were believing for, we could not afford. It was a very, very nice car. But it's what we asked for. And God said, okay, now believe. And so I was praying, and there was a point where as I prayed and as I read the word, there came a point where faith rose up, and I knew that I had that car. It wasn't sitting in my driveway. I didn't have the cash in the bank, but I knew that I knew that I knew inside me I had that car. I knew it. And within a week, we'd bought the car. Cash. And you know what? There was one car in this state. They had the right colour, the right make, the right model and with all the extras that I'd listed off that I wanted on this car. There was one. And I had more than enough to be able to buy it. In fact, I had twice as much. That's God. But you see, you have to believe. And we had to believe before we could receive. Because the supply was already there. That car already existed. We just hadn't put demand on it. Yeah, that car, it was made. It was done. All the bits were already on it. It was actually already created. God knew what I was going to ask for. The supply was already there. I just hadn't put any demand on it. And that's what faith is, is you put demand on the supply and God goes, I knew you were going to ask that. So here's what I prepared earlier. And he provides. But we let go because, oh, it hasn't happened the time we think. Oh, maybe I'm not good enough. Maybe I'm not worthy. Oh, maybe there's a better way. Maybe if I just help God out, I can. And we get into deception and condemnation and we let temptation overtake us because we lose faith. You want to overcome that, you've got to keep putting the word. All I did was we put the word of God in, word of God in. I'd go walking. And I can remember the exact spot. I could take the exact spot because I'd go walking and I'd just play. In that case, it was tapes at that time. And I'd just play tapes on faith and just listen to them. Sometimes over the same one, over and over and over again. I downloaded one yesterday. I listened to it this morning. I listened to, I think about 20 times I've listened to this one because it's just got faith in it and it's, it's meeting me where I'm at and I'm just listening to it again and again and again. And I was walking and I can remember going, you know, thank you God for my car. And I actually stepped off the curb at this point and I knew, bam, 
I had the car. Because my faith reached the point of God's supply. He already had it there. I just had to get myself to the point of being able to receive. And it was done. God has your supply in abundance. Just like he supplied. He didn't just supply. I mean, he gave us the cash and we only needed half the cash that we were given to be able to buy that car. That's God, isn't it? He went over and above. God wants to supply over and above where you're at. But how are you thinking? Are you in temptation, condemnation, in deception? Or are you in faith? Because when you're in faith, you're pleasing to God and you step into his supply, which is exceedingly abundantly above all that you can ask, think, dream or imagine. He's a good God, yeah? Walk in his goodness. Change how you think. And let his blessing flow. Shall we pray? Father, I pray for every person here. They get a revelation of your supply and how to step in and put demand on that. That you'll show each one of us how we can step into your abundant goodness. We rebuke the devil in the name of Jesus. We cut off any temptation, any deception, any condemnation that he tries to bring against us. And we step into faith. We step into living according to your will and purpose. Lord, I pray a hunger rising up even greater for your word that it will become alive to us in Jesus' name, that you be glorified through us. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.